Phillies are 2008 World Champions of Baseball. The Philadelphia Eagles are Super Bowl champions. Eagles fans everywhere, this is for you. It's Wednesday, April 25th, 2018. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight along with my partner, Jim Chechesko. Chet, another great week on the Philly sports front. The Sixers are headed to round two by beating the Heat in five games. The Phils are playing solid baseball, and unfortunately, the Flyers not ready for prime time right yet. But and did I mention the NFL draft is tomorrow night for the Super Bowl 52 champion Philadelphia Eagles with a draft upon us? Just another fun week on the Philly sports scene, Bill. We'll talk later on about the Eagles, the draft, and even a little Penn State football when Fox 43 sports anchor Andrew Callista joins us. But we're going to talk hoops first. Yeah, well, and speaking of those Sixers, I'm sure you'll be boasting somewhere along the line that uh, you indeed picked the Sixers to win the series in five games. Oh, was that me who wrote a preview piece saying the Sixers had the better, deeper team and would win the series, quote, pretty easily, five games? Hmm. Oh, yeah, thanks for reminding me, Bill. Well, I don't know about pretty easily, but, hey, we're going to talk Sixers. We have a special guest with us tonight uh, making her first visit to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, Philly.com Sixers writer Sarah Todd. Welcome, Sarah. Hi, guys. I'm glad to be here. Sarah, thanks so much for joining us here on Philly Press Box Radio. You've been covering uh, the Sixers with our pal Keith Pompey at the Inquirer, Daily News, and Philly.com for nearly a full year now, and it's not over yet, of course. Uh, You and Keith, by the way, do a great job on the Sixers beat. I'm just wondering, how much fun has this year been for you personally? I mean, it's been just a really interesting season because I think, I mean, I think most of the Sixers media and I think a lot of the fan base, the expectation coming into the season was, you know, maybe get a little bit upwards of 40 wins, sneak into an eight seed and maybe try to push a first round series. But never, I think in anyone's mind was a third seed, an easy win in five games and an actual clear path that can be seen to what could be a final it's just yep. it's been a really interesting ride. And this of course is the first postseason for both Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and many other Sixers for that matter. Are you surprised at how they've handled themselves, their composure, et cetera, at such at such a young age? I am really surprised. Um I think I think of what I see, especially in Ben, I'm really surprised that nothing to this point has shaken him. But even even though nothing has shaken, I think I've just become so accustomed to seeing him like that that maybe Joel's uh, maturity and poise is a little bit more surprising because he is the one that we know to, you know, troll people on social media and have more of a boisterous attitude. So the fact that he's so focused and locked in and everyone is playing well together, I, just, I mean, it's surprising on all fronts. Hey, Sarah, the, the trade deadline moves to pick up Marco Bellinelli and uh, Ursan Eliasova, uh, brilliant. I mean, it, it turned out to be brilliant. Those guys have been great contributors through uh, since they've been here. Uh, how, how much do you think they've made the team better? I mean, what more can you ask for, really, for guys coming off the bench? And uh, I think it's just been really beautiful the way that Bellinelli has kind of seamlessly moved into a bench version of what they used J.J. Redick for in the starting lineup. 
And with Ilyasova already knowing Brett Brown's system and being familiar with some of the guys on the team, it just everything seemed to transition without too many hiccups and everything progressively got better. I mean, early in the season, the bench, there was a lot of questions about, yeah, the team, it looks good, except for once you get past, you know, the first six guys, what else is there going to, you know, who else is going to contribute? And now that's not even a question. Sarah, I know you're something of a fan of Dario Saric, who wouldn't be. How important is he on the Sixers prospects moving along here in the playoffs? I'm, I'm a huge fan of Dario. Um, and I knew that. I think I think that sometimes he is really underrated for what he does. Even if like he had a he had a rough night uh, last night, but he still he comes in and he's just he takes such a physical beating and he does so much for them. Um, really small things on defense that don't that go unnoticed sometimes. He sets screens. I mean he he really battles for them, and I think that that's going to be very helpful, especially if they end up going going up against Boston. Yeah, and, and I wanted to hit you uh, hit you up too about that JJ Redick. You mentioned him, and uh, you know, I, I find him interesting because he could pretty much. I feel like he can score the ball any time he wants, and he showed that when Embiid went out and he upped his point total ten or twelve points a game. Um, he seems like he's toned his game down on a regular basis just to be a good team player and a good teammate. Yeah, I think. I mean, I don't think that we would have really expected them to be doing so much off the ball movement. But when Joel went down, I mean, we saw them just speed things up so much and, you know, using like a high pick and roll more often and just doing back cuts. And you've got, you know, JJ as well as Bellinelli, you know, diving in for just quick layups on a back cut. And, you know, they were guys that were signed specifically for their shooting. And so it's not what you expected them to be so, you know, valuable right underneath the basket, but sometimes they just, you know, multiple screens get lost and that is the perfect time to catch them. And Ben Simmons, obviously the perfect guy to pass in the ball. Yeah. Look at the scoring balance for this just ended series against the heat, five different players averaging between 16 and a half and 20 points a game. Some casual fans might think it's just Embiid and Simmons leading this team, but this is a true team effort. Is it not? Yeah. And I think that's, that's proven through the, 17 game streak that we saw because you know if one guy was injured throughout the season it was kind of you know injuries here and there spotty and it seems like right as the season was coming to a close they really figured out how to live up to that next man up mentality and so and you don't get that if it's not a team effort if one guy goes down you usually really feel the deficit of not having him going for you but you don't feel that with the Sixers. Absolutely. And, and speaking of that, Ben Simmons, here we are, his rookie season, 15.8 points, 8.1 rebounds, 8.2 assists. He's a rookie. He's, what, 21 years old or something like that. He almost looks like he's a guy that can be so good that he can be a, a career triple-double type player. Right, and that's the thing that I think a lot of people often forget, especially watching the team right now, as good as they're looking heading into the second round of the playoffs, that – most of these guys are very young, and we forget that, you know, Ben Simmons sat out last year, so this is his first season. This is Joel's, like, first full season. And the fact that they're they're this good now, you know, Brett Brown talks about it a lot. We have so much more room to grow, but that is really scary to think about, that the Sixers haven't yet. 
not close. Hey, I think this happened in game three, Sarah. We started to see more of T.J. McConnell and less of Markel Fultz. Fultz didn't get off the bench the last couple of games. Uh, why did Brett decide to go with T.J.? I mean, um, it's just plain experience. I think it's no secret that Markel Fultz only played those last few games of the season and everyone's dismissing the first four games that he played, as they should. But it's unfair to think that this kid who was having so much trouble getting his shot ready and he was just thrown into the thick of things at the very end of the season, it's unfair to think that he would be prepared for an atmosphere that the playoffs create. And uh, TJ, he's experienced with the team. He knows everything that uh, Brett expects of him, and he knows situationally what Brett expects of him when he puts him into a game. And so it's just plain experience. Well, we have a long debate on this show over and over, and uh, we talked to Keith Pompey about this, and that's that Amir Johnson versus Rashawn Holmes uh, backup situation. Amir got most of the time uh, in this series, with Rashawn only getting in two games. Um, What do you see the reason why Amir plays ahead of uh, Rashawn Holmes? Yeah, I understand the debate. I I hear it a lot from people, especially on Twitter, you know, begging to have Rashawn come into the game. But the fact is that Amir Johnson defensively is so trustworthy. And he also is one of the guys on the team, one of the very few guys on the Sixers, that sets a screen with such precision and you know, those are things that are not going to show up on a box score, and it's really easy to, you know, watch him lumber, and it, it seems like a, a putback can take three minutes for him, and it's really easy to focus on those things and think about, oh, if Rashawn was in here, he'd be dunking balls left and right. But it, that's not what they were wanting from the, a backup when Joel's sitting out. They want someone that's going to be able to, like, know exactly where they're supposed to be and when they're supposed to be there and to be a guy who's going to help open up those perimeter shooters. And Amir is very good at that. So I, I think that sometimes I can understand when you're seeing the team need a little bit of a spark that you would want to go to Rashawn, but Amir is so reliable and he offers those really little things that I agree on going to Amir first. Sarah, I don't know if you were in the locker room at the time, but how cool was that uh, post-game scene with Brett Brown talking to the players and then, you know, getting doused with chocolate milk and getting to ring the bell? That was pretty awesome. Yeah, where the media is not in there for the, the bell ringing and when Brett addressed the team after the game, but I did see the video, and it was just a really special moment. I really appreciated that, you know, uh, he handed the bell to JJ to ring it and then, you know, JJ handed it back to him and said, congratulations on your first playoff series victory. And such a nice moment for this team that has been through so much. Even some of the guys who have only been here this year, they understand what the team and what Brett has been through the last few years. And I think it was just a really nice moment, and it kind of captured the, the feeling and the brotherhood and the friendship that that whole locker room has. All right, Sarah, the Sixers now await the winner of the Boston-Milwaukee series, the Celtics leading that one three games to two. Which team is the more favorable matchup for the 76ers, and what do you want to see personally? Um, I mean, if if I'm the Sixers, I think I'm definitely hoping that it's uh, 
that it's Milwaukee that comes out and wins this because not only would that give the Sixers the home court advantage for the second round, but they've been able to the win easier over the Bucks. And they split the series between the Bucks this season, but that that season finale game over the Bucks and they won by 35 points. That was kind of a glimpse into how things could work and uh, Joel wasn't even in that game. So I think that is the favorable matchup. On the other side of things, if they get Boston, uh, when the Celtics beat the Sixers this season, it was with Kyrie. Now they're without Kyrie, but there's been a lot of players on the Celtics that have been stepping up. You know, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Terry Rozier, they're all stepping up. They just got Marcus Smart back. So uh, that's not a team. They play excellent defense, and Brad Stevens is such a good coach that is definitely not the matchup I think they would want. Um, hmm. But I think either way, it's going to be a good series. I agree. Me too. Any any prediction for us before we uh, cut you loose? Well, I even though I, it would be nice to get the Bucks for the Sixers, I think that uh, Boston is probably going to get this one and that we're going to be seeing them and um, still think that the Sixers might be favored in that matchup. So I'm going to go ahead and say uh, Sixers in seven. Whoa, I can't wait. I cannot I wait. I like the way you're thinking. I have one <laughs> final question for you since, since you mentioned the Sixers Celtics, and you haven't been in town all that long, I don't think. Are, are you aware of that old Sixers Celtics rivalry that goes back probably 50 years? Yeah, I've not been in town that long, but I'm an NBA junkie, so I am very, very aware of the rivalry. And so, I've, I mean, as a fan of basketball in general, I'm excited to see this matchup and kind of a, uh, hopefully see this matchup and have the rivalry maybe sparked up again. Me too. Can't wait. Can't wait. All right, sir. Well, we appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule and uh, enjoy the playoff run and go Sixers. Yeah, have a good time, guys. All Thanks, right. sir. Thank we appreciate you. it. All right, let's take a break and allow me to tell you about the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, Pennsylvania. By now, you know the Irish Rover has great dinners, steak, chicken, ribs, several varieties of burgers, awesome sandwiches and wraps, not to mention superb gourmet wings. This Saturday night, the Kickbacks Band performs at the Rover. And every Wednesday evening, it's Trivia Night. Always Sixers and Phillies games on the Rover's many big TVs and 24 beers on tap, plus a great bunch of bartenders and waitstaff. And the Irish Rover is taking reservations for their annual Mother's Day brunch. That is May 13th. Call 267-560-5240. It's the Irish Rover Station House on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorne and on the web at irishroverstationhouse.com. Hey, Chet, I have to ask you, uh, before we get on to talk about the draft for just a second, I have to ask you, and I and I know nothing about this, but that music kind of reminded me that maybe it would be something like this. What is this Meek Meal thing? And what is he doing <laughs> ringing the bell at the Sixers game? Tell me about it. Uh, come on. I don't don't make me talk about it. I, I don't know all the particulars. He is a popular rap star. A lot of the Eagles and Sixers are fans of his or even friends of his in like Joel Embiid's case. Uh, one of the Sixers owners, Michael Rubin, is actually a friend of his, so he helped get him uh, there to make sure he, rung, he rang the bell. I don't know the particulars of the case. I mean, yeah, Meek Mill was in prison for a while. He did some things wrong, but 
there was also a lot of accusations that the judge in the case was just kind of you know ramrodding him and going overboard to punish him, going above and beyond what she had to do. And there were some questions about her ethics along the way as well. So beyond that, I don't know a whole lot about Meek Mill. I sampled some of his music. We discussed him last year at one point. Not a fan of his music, but a lot of the players like him, and uh, you know some of the Sixers fans like him. He rang the bell, and people were, for the most part, okay with it. That's as much as I can say. Well, that's not what I was reading. They weren't okay with it. That's that's why I was curious. The only thing I did is I did take a minute to read uh, his Wikipedia page. Now, whether that's true or false, I don't know. But uh, boy, there's a lot of stuff on there that uh, he wasn't. He wasn't always a good character. No. Okay. Yeah, All he's right. only about that's twenty-eight, but hey. Yeah, that, that's enough. That's enough on Meek. Okay. Hey, it seems like uh, the NFL draft is almost like an afterthought for the Super Bowl Fifty Two champion Eagles. Chet, there, there's not much buzz. Uh, whether it's because we've won the Super Bowl and we're kind of relaxed, or because we're picking thirty-two and no second or third rounders, just doesn't seem like a whole lot of buzz. Yeah, it's a combination of what you just said. And even if Howie makes a trade, as I fully expect him to, it's most likely that it would be a trade down. So losing the 32nd overall pick for a second and fourth rounder or whatever. So, yeah, this is the least buzz about the draft regarding the Eagles' standpoint in the draft in more years than I can remember. Uh, so, yeah, it's kind of blasé, ho-hum. But one other thing I want to ask you real quick, Bill, the Birds 2018 schedule came out last Thursday, and there are a lot of tough games on there, of course, and some cool road games, too, New Orleans, Nashville, Tampa, you know, for you, a game in London against the Jags. What are your thoughts about the schedule? Well, and at the Rams also. Yeah, uh, yeah. Late, like in mid-December, that, that'll be interesting. That Ram bunch looks like they're loading up with talent. Uh, yeah, I think it's a good schedule, and, uh, you know, I still think unless something really crazy happens here in the next couple of days with the draft and trades and whatever, I think the Eagles are clearly the class of the NFC East. So they should be able to get through that. I don't see the other teams being real close. So um, they're going to draw people everywhere and it's going to be fun and it's going to be a fun schedule. and They're going to have to earn their way. I resisted the temptation to look through the schedule and do the, you know, W and L thing like so many people do when the schedule comes out. And we've done it in past years because we didn't have Sixers and uh, Flyers playoff games to worry about. But this year I did not do it. But I did hear last Friday Mike Missinelli had Brian Westbrook on, as he does every Friday afternoon. And they did go through the schedule one by one. And they had a couple of minor differences, but both ended up saying 11-5 and five for the Eagles, which, of course, would get them back into the playoffs, either division winner or certainly wild card team. I would think division winner with 11-5. and five. And I'd be okay with that because then you're in the playoffs and anything can happen. Well, that's interesting, 11-5. and five. And I didn't go through it either, but, you know, I think, I think as you would sit here today, you would have to say 5-1 and one in the East. You know, maybe somebody will beat them in the East one game. Five and one in the East. Uh, I don't know who they're losing the other games to unless they're them, all those road games you just ran off. Yeah, well, there are a lot of tough road games. I mean, beating Jacksonville in uh, London is not going to be easy. Um, going down in New Orleans, that is not going to be easy. You know that. That's one of the tougher games on the schedule, I think, is that game in New Orleans because – it comes a week after you're playing uh, Dallas on a Sunday night at the link. So to go to New Orleans the next week, that's not going to be easy. And, uh, 
you know, the Rams game that you mentioned is also going to be tough and playing at Dallas the week before the Rams game. So I could see them losing certainly four or five games. Hope that doesn't happen, but I'd still be okay with 12 and four or 11 and five. Yeah, did I ever tell you about the time I got to go to a Saints game? It was against Arizona. They were playing the Saints at the uh, Superdome down there, and it was like a regular season nope. game. It wasn't. It wasn't any special game. Uh, regular season game, and we were actually kind of in the upper deck. And man, it was deafening. <laughs> it was a regular season game. So yeah, I, I agree with you. I think uh, I think there's a chance it could be a real challenge for the Eagles going down there. Yep, we'll but see what happens. Yeah. Yep. Hey, hey, I want to tell you, uh, we got another great guest tonight that's going to talk about the draft with us. We're going to talk serious Penn State football after this week's blue white game in Happy Valley uh, as well. So let's welcome that guest, Fox 43 Sports anchor Andrew Kalista is back to the show. Welcome back, Andrew. Hey, what's up, guys? I don't know about talking uh, seriously about Penn State football. I'm kind of as a clown around the media room, so I'll do my best, though, to put on my serious face. Uh, <laughs> Sounds good. Welcome back, Andrew. A uh, fellow Mahamai City and Barnesville guy like myself, by the way, everybody. Uh, Andrew, we saw one of your reports following the blue-white game out of Beaver Stadium. And it, like you said, it's not a totally serious event all afternoon. For what it's worth, the Blue Squad won 21 to 10. By the way, do we really learn anything, Andrew, from these annual spring games? Um, I don't think you really learn anything that's relative to this year. I think what you learn is you learn something to look forward to two years down the road, and then maybe if an injury roll happens to pop up, I think I think that's where uh, you learn about Penn State because really, outside of you know, who's going to fill in for maybe Saquon Barkley. I think you're looking for, you know, more like role players right there. But, you know, Trace McSorley played, but nobody who blocked for him, nobody who caught passes from him last year really saw the field. So there's not much that you're going to say, oh, okay, these are going to be the players. Gotcha. Well, Andrew, talking about that uh, McSorley, um, what do you think of him coming into the new year? He was outstanding last year. He's got a new uh, new OC. Um, of course, he doesn't have Barkley. He doesn't have Gazeki. Um, what do you think of his year uh, you're looking forward to? To be honest with you, I, I'm looking for him to put up the same type of numbers that he's put up uh, the last two years in the offense. And, you know, after the festival, I talked to uh, Ricky Ronnie in the – in the locker room, and, and the one question I asked him was, you know, what was your style to go out there, and, and how much did you script? And he said, you know, I was scripting a lot. Um, I wanted to be in a flow. I thought that that helped him out. Um, he said, I thought that helped me out do that. So in between offensive series, he was constantly scripting plays to go over and have the situations down. And then Trace was asked, you know, what was the, the offense run like this spring compared to uh, Joe Moorhead, who's now at Mississippi State, and he said it didn't miss a beat. Uh, Ricky, it was basically like going from 1A to 1B. Everything just flowed. Um, I will say that the one thing that was noticeably different among the um, the offense in the spring game, and this is where we talk about um, how much can you actually learn, you saw a lot of two-back sets. Uh, from the blue offense, and that is because they just didn't have the tight end. 
You know, you mentioned Mike Kosicki mm. being gone. That's a huge loss from Penn State. But Penn State had some injuries to deal with um, in, the, in the spring, not injuries to concern yourself with going into the season, but just, you know, uh, the tight end position was a little bit limited with who was available. So you saw a lot of two-back sets there. And then also with quarterback, I'm surprised Trace McSorley even dropped back 14 times in a game. You don't need to have him dropping back. I mean, freak things happen. But uh, Tommy Stevens was limited. Sean Clifford was battling a little bit of a of a nagging injury. So they put him out there just to, you know, be able to get some reps with uh, some of the young guys. I guess one of the running backs we'll see a lot more of next season is junior Miles Sanders. He only had three carries in the spring game. Is he someone to keep an eye on? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he was, he was as James Franklin likes to say, the top prospect in the state, and he committed to Penn State when it wasn't the sexy thing to do. And now Penn State <laughs> signed the top prospect um, three years in a row out of, uh, out of Pennsylvania. And, and to be honest with you, he has, he has the flash. He has the dash. Uh, he's a speed guy. You know, he had the fumbling problem his freshman year. Uh, he's been utilized on, on special teams a lot. I think uh, I think Miles Sanders has a chance to be a special player. It's it's unbelievable to think of he's already a junior and we don't really know who, what he can do on the field and really who he is because he hasn't seen the field that much. We saw the glimpses of it, you know, at the tail end of last year, and we saw glimpses of it in the Fiesta Bowl. But I mean, to Penn State fans, you're under under Joe Paterno, you'd be just seeing the field now as a a redshirt sophomore if this was a paternal coach team because he would have came in and redshirted most likely his freshman year. That's not the case anymore with how things go. He's already out junior eligibility, so he, he's got to step up, and his, his time has to be now because, you know, uh, talking to the new running backs coach, Siders, uh, they think they're going to have studs, you know, to fill in there. Journey Brown, I mean, I don't know if anybody remembers this. When he was in high school, he had that, what was it, ridiculous 700-yard game, you know, up there in District 10 in uh, northwestern Pennsylvania. I mean, that guy could flat-out fly. And then you have Ricky Slade coming in from Virginia, who is an All-American coming out of high school, and he could just straight-out play football. And he's not even on campus yet, guys. So, I mean, they don't even know what they have in him. Wow. Well, Andrew, you mentioned that Tommy Stevens, and I find him to be an interesting guy. If you're not a real Penn State fan, you probably don't know a lot about Tommy, backup quarterback, as you mentioned. 6'5", 232 pounds, uh, could probably be playing at 95% of the Division One schools in this country, but he's uh, sitting here behind McSorley. How are they going to get him more involved? They started to last year. How are they going to get him involved in this offense? Well, they have the Lion package. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in, in loyalty. And Tommy Stevens showed loyalty to Penn State by saying he could have transferred anywhere. Um, Coach Ronnie was quoted as saying that he think he made, he made the best decision for Tommy Stevens to come back. And for anybody who didn't see how he announced that he was coming back, you have to go to his Twitter. Just Google search Tommy Stevens' Twitter, and it's a great scene out of The Wolf of Wall Street with Leonardo DiCaprio saying <laughs> – I'm not leaving. There's a couple choice words in that scene, by the way, and it's hilarious because that's how we announce it on Twitter. Um, he, he's basically like Penn State's fullback a little bit when they would put him on the field at the same time uh, with, uh, with Trace McSorley. But he, they got so much out of the, uh, the Lion package. Uh, he's, he's a powerful runner when he gets the ball in, in, in the open field. 
Uh, he can throw the ball. We got to see him throw the ball last year. I mean, but you're right. When you say that he could start at a lot of Division One programs around the country, that's not a lie. He he could play. And, you know, sometimes you think there's a lot of coach talk with things like, well, how much is there a, a competition between things? And, and for Penn State fans, it was like, how much of a competition was there between Anthony – or not Anthony Morelli, uh, Christian Hackenberg, thinking of a different 14. Uh, Christian Hackenberg and uh, Tyler Ferguson under Bill O'Brien. Well, it turns out there really wasn't that much of a competition. When James Franklin said about Trace McCholley and Tommy Stevens, it's close, it's close, it's close. I think now when you see Tommy Stevens on the field, it's like, yeah, it was close. He wasn't blowing smoke to us when he was saying that. Mm-hmm. All right, Andrew, it's April still, of course, but how will the Lions of 2018 look compared to the 2017 team? Big Ten title contenders or not? I think you have to you have to assume that they could be Big Ten title contenders. You, you, you really do. I think those teams are back in, in State College, and I know that's music to a lot of people's ears because the recruiting classes, it's been four recruiting classes in a row, so the talent is stocked right there. And the teams of Penn State past, it not used to be able to rebuild. You used to be able to reload. I think those days are, are, are back, if not maybe a year away. So, but the thing that gets me is they have lost a lot of guys, and there's two goals on defense. One, the linebacker spot, which you have all freshmen basically competing for with Koa Farmer coming back and Cam Brown, who played a different position last year, and now he's spent the majority of the spring at middle linebacker. You do get Micah Parsons back there. The defensive tackle, that's a problem in the Big Ten. Um you got to be able to stop the run. How that happens, really, I don't think you could say, and just because the schedule is really tough, but most of the games are at home, I think you're looking at the same type of year last year, and if they could pull off an upset or two, then better than last year. But I think 9-3, and 10-2 and two is a very realistic um, expectation for this team. And like I said, the one upset is definitely doable and the schedule does set up with the bye week and who they have at home compared to on the road. I think it does set up really well, but they get Ohio State early in the season. That's going to be a big teller. So, uh, But, hey, I would expect Penn State to compete for a Big Ten title once again. Cool. Andrew, I have one more question for you on Penn State before we switch over to the draft. Uh, what, what's your take on this offensive line? I, I got a feeling this, this group has a chance to be really, really good. I think – this group has a chance to be really, really I say that because normally I'm the most negative person in the world. I'm a, I'm a person that says, don't, don't tell me you think this line's going to be good because I've seen what the line has put out the last three years. And that's, that's not me slamming them. I realize that it's a, that offensive line is the toughest position to predict when you're recruiting guys out of high school. I get that. It's a crash. There's gelling, there's injuries, you know, like, the offensive line was, was doing very well, and they beat Ohio State last year if Bates doesn't go down. Uh, I'm, I, I'm very much a believer. But I'm a guy that is, you show me the results, you show me what you could do, and then I'll be a believer. This year, I really think going to come together. It might not be together early on in the season, but I think the flexibility is all there with guys that they've got come back. Uh, Mike Mennett from uh, around the Reading area, Exeter, uh, finally healthy. He's been banged up constantly with nagging, uh, small injuries, and I think mentioned that you know, he's kind of toughening himself up. 
So uh, that's good. It gives him flexibility with Connor McGovern up front. Uh, Bates is back at left tackle. Will uh, Fries is backing him up. You have guys that are in the pipeline, like C.J. Thorpe, that are just nasty. Um, You know, and is he going to play this year? No, unless he's called upon because of an injury. But, um, or at least I think that. I shouldn't say, because I don't, I, you know, Coach Franklin isn't telling me who's he going to play and who's he not going to play. But the, um, I think that by the middle of the season, this line will be one of the nastier lines and most talented lines that's in a long, long time. Awesome. Hey, one final important question about Saturday's blue-white affair. Andrew, how would you rate Keegan-Michael Key's impression of James Franklin? I thought it was pretty good. I think it was pretty good. I think he could have used the glasses that he had on college game day. <laughs> um, I, want, I, wanted, I, I wanted him to go Coach Hines. I know that's, <laughs> that, that's your era, Mad TV with the, uh, the Oliver skit. I'm not, not yes. sure if you guys remember yes. that. I wanted, I, I wanted him to kind of like do that in the second half when he came out instead of doing the impersonation. But, um, yeah, really, really fun guy to, to, to even like be around and things like that. Seemed like he genuinely enjoyed it. And um, someone was saying, you know, after the game, just, you know, his connection to Penn State and how he got there, this isn't like a guy that is like you know, just jumping on the Penn State bandwagon because they're back to being good. This is a guy that he he pointed – he's like, the passion is there from when I came to school. I remember coming to the games, and this is what it was like. And he's like, it, this is great to see. You know, I chose my grad school because of the, the influence that I had watching Penn State football grow up. And, and you know, that's good, to, that's good to hear. And from a, a son of Penn State alums and from – uh, uh, people who have known a lot of Penn State alums and that are uh, that know the Penn State tradition, that's good to hear for them as well. Well, Andrew, let's switch over to the NFL draft, but stay with Penn State. Uh, Saquon Barkley looks like he's a uh, top two, three, maybe at the at the furthest. Uh, but Mike Gusecki, Marcus Allen, there's a couple other guys there. Uh, Sean Hamilton. Where do you see these guys going, and what, what's the buzz with them? Well, you know what? A lot of people, when they talk about Penn State in the draft, they think it's, got, it's all Barkley in the first round, Barkley in the first round. I'm not saying Mike Kosicki is going to go in the first round, but there is a guy, and we know the NFL's in love with guys that play basketball. We're out at the Combine. The dude hasn't played basketball since high school, really didn't have high-level offers to play basketball. And every question from – media people was coming at Mike when you played basketball, when you played basketball. Let's be honest, the dude was like an all-world volleyball player. Penn State, who's not too shabby. I think he could somehow sneak into the first round, depending on what goes. I think he's gone by the middle of the second round. Maybe that's just me being biased because I like him so much as a person, and he's really cool, and he's really chill to me whenever I need something from him. Um, you know, like waving off SIDs that say, Calista, no more questions. And I'm like, Mike, do you mind answering a few? And he, and he's like, yeah, yeah, no problem. So maybe that's just my personal bias on that one. But I mean, that, that is a guy who, you know, if, if you take him and he struggles as a first year player, as a second year player, that it's not going to be for lack of lack of effort. And it's not going to be, he's not going to like curl up into a ball and cry because he couldn't catch a cold when he was at Penn State his sophomore year. And then you would see him after practice just on the jugs machine getting balls fired at him at 80 miles an hour. And then look at that year he had as a junior. Could, probably could have came pro out of that. Then he comes back for his senior year, 
and then he just catches everything that's thrown up to him. I mean, so I, I think it's possible that somebody falls in love with him. As far as Saquon Barkley, from what I've heard uh, from people at Penn State that have some people in the NFL because they've been there for so long, you better get used to seeing them if you're an Eagles fan. That That's just my prediction. You might be seeing them twice a year. So yeah. um, you should be hoping yeah, that he slips to number four. So, but then yeah. Deshaun Hamilton, I think he's a third-round guy. Marcus Allen Taylor, a third-round, fourth-round guy too. So th- that's where I think those guys are going to go. Well, I wanted to say to you, I wouldn't break my heart with the 32nd pick the Philadelphia Eagles take Mike Kosicki would make me quite happy. It, I, I'm sure that would. The one thing that he, that he does not do well, and he it was a very funny interaction out of the combine. Mike, your block, your, uh, how have you improved your blocking? Yeah, it's gotten better, but I'm still not that good at it. That was a, that was a, a pretty honest assessment right there. And, and he's gotten much better. Is an NFL quality blocking? Is it going to be like a Brent Selleck? You know, because the the Eagles uh, losing him as a blocking tight end. Um, no, it's not. But, hey, uh, it's always something you could work on, and it's tough to pass up a freak athlete, and that's exactly what he is. Well, Zach Ertz isn't a great blocker either, and he's having a pretty good career. So, hey, we'll take it. Um, one other thing about the, the draft, the top guys, there are probably five quarterbacks going in the first round. How do you rate these five quarterbacks? Uh, are any of them going to be studs in the pros? Well, I'm going to be – like I, I'm a big show me what you could do, and I and I like when I see things in person. So I got to watch Sam Darnold on the field, Penn State. So I'm a, I think he's a he's a pretty good quarterback, and I think he has the. Uh, there's just something that's a little bit different to me in his attitude than the Matt Leinhart, Sanchez. So I, I give him a a, a plus in there. Uh, the other guy uh, that I I think Baker Mayfield is a gamer. We, I know the off-field issues, and I know some of the immaturity things. At the same time, like, what competitor hasn't kind of done something that's been viewed a little bit outlandish or, you know, derogatory on the field? I'm sure when I even just played high school, I said some things that I probably would not say as a 31-year-old. <laughs> so, um, you know, and Chet, you're from Monte City. Yep. Probably most of those words came against Shendo. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna be honest with you on that one. I so, got you. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I would have May, Mayfield too, and then I saw some people having him drop like way down, going to to number twelve with the Bills and things like that. After Mayfield, I would go Rosen. Then I would go, um, uh, the kid from Louisville. Then I'm going Mason Crosby, and then Whoa. I'm going Josh Allen. Wow. Yeah. A lot of people say that, that Crosby, Allen's Mason overrated. Rudolph. I didn't say – I said Mason Crosby. Said, excuse me. Think of that I got kicked around the mind. Yep. Yep. Well, wow. hey, Andrew, I have, I have to ask you, uh, you admitted the last time you were on that you are a longtime Steelers fan. So, I just want to ask, how did it feel to see the Eagles finally winning that elusive Super Bowl in February? How did it fe- – well, I'm going to be <laughs> honest with you. I'm, I'm in a kitchen right now with somebody who's a – Steelers fan as well, and she's got knives cutting <laughs> something right now. So the uh, I'll be honest, as somebody who who does cover the Eagles, and my dad was an Eagles fan, I can't say that I was too upset by it. 
and I'm a Pennsylvania person, so I, I, it, did not, it did not bother me at all. What bothers me is seeing that the Steelers constantly fall short when they have the big three on offense and a lot of cap money tied up in that. And then when the people, when they keep shooting their mouths off on social media before they play the Patriots, that bothers me. <laughs> yeah, all right. All right. Well, hey, Andrew, I think we've used up all your time, and we certainly appreciate you taking that time to join us again on the show. Hey, no problem, guys. Anytime you want to talk Penn State football, I'm always available, and I could always make it more entertaining if you want me to. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. Right. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. All right. I'll see you. Take care. Well, Chad, hey, because we had the uh, Eagles draft guru, eagles.com draft guru, Fran Duffy with us last week, we skipped over our Q2 segment. So let's get back to it this week. I'm, I'm itching. Oh, yeah. you got to go back on the hot seat, Bill. It is week eight of season two of Random Q2. Again, Random Q2 is our little 10-week segment. I ask you two simple questions every week. The first question about a timely sports topic. The second one, one of 10 random questions that I picked weeks or months ago even. So let's get to it. Your first question, Bill, and this is a tricky one. I apologize. No meat, Bill. We we never talk politics on here, and we're not going to really do that now, but The Eagles have reportedly been invited to the White House and are weighing their options. My question for you, should they accept the invitation, even if it's known that several players won't make the trip? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't care who the president is, and I don't care who the team is. I think it's it's an honor to be invited to the White House, and they should go. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I kind of agree with that uh, assessment. So, okay. Uh, number two, I need you to pick one of these numbers. You got three left. Two, three, or five. Two, three, or five. Let's go with uh, number three tonight. Number three, like my wife, Linda, Bill, your wife, Mary, is not much of a sports fan. But if she were to go to a sporting event with you, which sport or team would that be most likely and why? Um. Probably the Phillies, probably baseball, because she's okay. been to a ton of ton of them, and uh, she she does go with me to baseball games down at home, and uh, you know in Philly and in spring training, and of course all my boys, our boys, play ball and all that. So I would say uh, baseball and the Phillies. Yeah, even if you're not a huge baseball fan, you can always have a good time at the ballpark. So. Good answer. You get an A-plus tonight for that one, Bill. Hey, I am on it. I am on it tonight, Yes, indeed. <laughs> hey, speaking of being on it, you wrote an article on our website, phillypressboxradio.com, about the Flyers following their elimination last week at the hands of the Penguins. And, and I think you and I might have a difference of opinion on a good part of that article. Uh, would you like to summarize your comments so we could chat about yeah. it? Yeah, in a nutshell, I made the point in the article that I don't agree with the many fans, including a few of our listeners, I believe, who want to see Dave Haxtall fired. Although it went down to the final weekend, this was the Flyers' best season since 2012. A lot of the young guys showed they do belong and will continue to get better. Yeah, the the losses to the Penguins were ugly, but I'm pretty sure Dave Haxtall advised them against taking so many penalties. And it's not Dave Haxtall's fault that the team still makes so many costly turnovers and that it still doesn't have a franchise goalie. I say Haxtall deserves another full year and maybe even a fifth year. That is the final year of his contract. 
and that'll be when Phenom goalie Carter Hart just may be ready to take the leap and take the reins in net. So that's basically what I said in my article last Sunday night. Well, and, you know, I'm going to agree with you on that, on on Haxtell, and he's not going anywhere. So don't, you know, people are saying, well, wait and see. No, he's not going anywhere this no, year. No, he's not. He's not. And I'll tell you what, um, Giroux, Claude Giroux and Voracek and Simmons are taking a bunch of the heat. They're not going anywhere. Simmons, maybe. And I think that all depends on how injured he is. And I think we're going to find that out from Hextall here at uh, sometime after closing interviews or whatever. Uh, Simmons has been hurt all season. Voracek, what, he had 90 points, 90-some points. He's not going anywhere. Giroux had 100 points. He's not going anywhere. And for all the people that want to get rid of these guys, who are you replacing them with? You're going to replace them with the guys that are going to score 40 points? That That's not happening. And to your last point, or you didn't make the point here, but you made it in your article, which I know this is your sorest subject of all. Brian Elliott and Michael Neuberth are both under contract for next season. Yeah. And they're going to be back, I think. So that's why we have to wait yet another year. Yet another year until we get Carter Hart. So, yeah, I don't expect them to be a Stanley Cup contender next year either, but – they better make the playoffs again next year or we're going to hear more of that same talk from a lot of people and it's going to be justified because, as I said, all these young guys should be even better and there's going to be even more young guys maybe on the big club. Uh, you know, Sam Morin and uh, we'll see more of Sanheim in the year ahead and hopefully Konechny and these other guys continue to get better. So, yeah, they should do a little better next year than this year, but you've got to have that goalie. And, yeah, you mentioned Simmons. He played with a pelvic issue all year and then, you know, kudos to Provorov uh, and Couturier for doing what they did over the weekend, despite pretty darn hurt. They are gamers, and they said they were going to be out there if they could walk, and they were there. And, uh, you know, kudos to them. I, I like to see that in a player. Well, and I'm going to tell you, I disagree. And here's why. Hmm. Provorov was too hurt. If you're that hurt that you're going to hurt your team because you can't do your job because he couldn't shoot because he had a yeah. shoulder that was falling off don't yeah. play and that's don't why he play. had that one turnover well he had two turnovers and, and he yeah. just didn't play well he didn't play well and and whether it was because of the injury or just because let, let's say it was the injury um and, and i appreciate you know that he's a gamer and all this and and you do want those guys but if you're too hurt to go don't hurt your team yeah okay I, I can agree with that. that? I'm, I'm not going to fight you on that one. All right. So, and then uh, the other thing I thought was interesting, it just happened to, to be Provorov as well, that, that I spread an article, and I think Sam Sam might have been the one that said this, Sam Carcidi, they, they you know, they showed Provorov crying after the game. And, you know, I appreciate that too. Been there, done that, and uh, lost and got knocked out of playoffs. But And he said, well, nobody cares more than Ivan Provorov. Well, just because you're crying, don't mean the other guys didn't care. Right. I, I just, I just don't get all that stuff. But anyhow, I just wanted to pick apart your article, actually. Well, actually, it sounded like you agreed with a lot of it, so uh, <laughs> I'll take it. I, I did agree with, I do agree with some of it, but uh, <laughs> you know, actually, probably most of it. But guys aren't leaving. There's not going to be a mass exodus, at least in the uh, the top six, top eight forwards. 
Uh, I think it's safe to say Gouda's probably played his way out as we've got, oh, yeah. but we got guys to replace him. You know, we don't have guys to replace Giroux and Voracek 200 points worth. So that, I just don't see that happening. Hey, going back to our Sixers discussion, first of all, Sarah Todd was great, very informative, and she was terrific. Uh, I'm excited, too, if they get to play the Celtics. Like she said, it's probably a better matchup going against the Bucks. but, man, if the Sixers-Celtics rival, rivalry can, uh, you know, become what it used to be back in the late 60s and much of the 70s and 80s, that would be pretty darn exciting. That would be really exciting. I'll tell you, the only thing I'm not looking forward to, and I think he does a nice job, Kevin McHale broadcasting that series. Oh, <laughs> yeah. But he does do a good job. I mean, you, you know, I think he's a pretty good announcer. And, you know, I forgot that uh, the local announcers, Mark Zumoff in this case, don't get to do the games beyond the first round. I forgot about that. And that's a shame for Zoo. It's like Harry Callis in 1980. He won't get to, you know, be around for uh, the finals. That's kind of sad. Yep, yep. Well, you know, from, from where my vantage point, I've had to listen to uh, – to Kevin McHale, you know, throughout the whole series. And like I say, he does, yeah. he does a pretty good job. But I, I have the, the TNT version, not the uh, the Philly version. Right. I got you. So. Go Sixers. But, hey, good, good flyer stuff and uh, good Sixers stuff. Looking forward to it. Well, hey, Ted, we can't, uh, can't go without talking about the Phillies. Finished a four-game sweep of those Pittsburgh Pirates, Denny Malloy, over the weekend. They're playing good ball in, in spite of last night's loss to the Diamondbacks. And I, I think the real funny thing or crazy thing, after 20 games, Phils were second in the National League in runs scored, second in the National League in best uh, as far as least runs allowed. But I'm struggling to have a comfort level with that Gabe Kapler. And I don't know why that is, Bill. I can't speak for you. I think Gabe's done a pretty darn good job since the Drevel 1-4 and four opening week. And, you know, the numbers, including some of the ones you just mentioned, will back that up. The fact that they're 14-8 and eight with, I think, four guys still under the Mendoza line as far as batting average is pretty remarkable. Uh, starting pitchers, Aaron Nola, Jake Arrieta, who's on the hill as we speak, and Nick Pavetta have been terrific. The bullpen, not counting Tuesday night's meltdown, has been very, very good as well. So 14-8, and eight, you know, after 22 games, I'll take that. That's certainly better than any of us could have expected. Well, I, I guess I'm just not comfortable with the fact that you come off an off day and your guy, your number three hitter that's hitting 328 and has been consistent from opening day, it's not like he's slumping, and he's not playing. He had a day off yesterday. He doesn't need a day off today. Why? There, there aren't analytics that say why this guy is playing. I, I just don't get that. And you know what? I didn't know this, but assuming this is correct, Mike Missinelli said on the radio today, I heard him mention that, that uh, Odubel was 5 for 12 in his career, which is 417 against Ray, who was on the hill for the D-backs last night. So you don't need to be an analytical genius to tell you that 5 for 12 ain't bad. He should be in the lineup. He should be in the lineup. I mean, if, if you look at this Phillies team right now, today, I think you say, okay, I'm going to I'm going to pencil in Cesar at the leadoff spot at second base. I'm going to put a double in the three hole, and I'm going to put Reese Hoskins in the four hole. And then wherever it falls out, it falls out. You can you can put Nick Williams out there. You can put uh, your boy out there out there. Uh, you know, Aaron out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can put guys out there in different places, but to me. And, and Mike Michael Franco is not in that group right at the moment. 
those are the three guys that you need to pencil in every day. Yeah, I can agree with that. And, uh, you know, some of these other guys, you hope they do get going, like Franco and uh, Jorge Alfaro, who, boy, I heard uh, another stat today. Alfaro has only eight hits so far this season, and he struck out 24 times. That's, That's not good. He's hitting, he's hitting 170, and, uh, and Andrew Knapp is hitting 216. We talked about that at spring training, how the catchers didn't hit in spring training, and uh, there was no reason to think they were going to turn it on when they got to the – to the regular season, and they have it. Yeah, and Kingry's down below 220 now. He struck out four times, I guess, last night. I think pitchers are, you know, getting a book on him. So, you know, he may need to do a little work in the cage and watch some tape of his at-bats. Uh, we love Kingry, of course, and he's going to be great, I think. But it's a struggle your first year, and maybe, just maybe, moving him around to five different positions is taking a little toll on him. Well, yeah, and, you know, Kingry doesn't worry me. Neither does uh, J.P. Crawford. And and really, other than he's a catcher and he's got a whole, all that other responsibility, Alfaro doesn't worry me that much as a rookie either. Those guys are going to struggle. You know, there, there's going to be peaks and valleys all the time with, with that, and uh, that's just part of playing big league baseball. you you got to learn. and But normally, you let them play through it, and that's not what – uh, Gabe Kapler does, and you know the record is what it is, and I'm happy about it. But boy, it confuses me a little bit. And you know, I'm not worried overly about uh, Santana either. I think Santana has hit the ball hard often, just had some bad luck. So he'll be he'll be knocking in runs and getting on base a lot more often in the near future. I have no doubt. Yeah, he's he's only hitting 154 and uh, with 78 yeah. at bats. You know, starting to get up there in at bats a little bit, but. You know, his thing is that the stat that sticks out to me is uh, he's got 16 walks and 17 strikeouts. Not bad. Reese, Reese has 21 walks and 22 strikeouts. So, you know, they're they're on the ball a little bit as far as seeing it and, and getting on base and doing some other things. Yep, still a long way to go, but uh, they're definitely a fun team to watch this year, and I hope that continues to be the case as we get into yeah. July, August, September. Yeah, me too. Me too. It would be good to uh, – have them be competitive and put in put in some good games. And that Aaron Nola just keeps pitching well, Chet. He does. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, hey, um, Chet, I got to ask you, we are ready to find out who is going to be on the show next week. Oh, yeah. Well, Bill, within a few days, the 2018 NFL draft will be history. So, who better than to assess what the Eagles did over those three days in Dallas than the fantastic sports writer and radio and television personality, the godfather of football, the Hall of Famer, and soon to be our first ever 10-time visitor to Philly Press Box Radio, Mr. Ray Dinger. Ray Diddy, good deal. Good deal. Nice surprise. I didn't know that. I figured you probably had him lined up for somewhat soon, but didn't know it was already. Good deal. All right. Well, Mr. Chesco, we got a parting shot for you tonight? Indeed. Short and sweet one tonight, actually, Bill, so we're going to have a little uh, time to kill here. Um, you know that I'm a big music fan and longtime listener of 93.3 WMMR in Philly. I've been a pretty regular listener since about 1984, in fact. They actually went on the air as a rock station on April 29, 1968. 
So they are celebrating their 50th anniversary this weekend. They're really celebrating it all year, but officially this Sunday is 50 years. They do an amazing job with the music, with charitable work, and every one of their on-air folks, and I've gotten to know all of them a little bit, is pure class. From the Preston and Steve crew in the morning, we've had Nick and Casey Boy on our show, to the legendary Pierre Robert, to Jackson, to the wild but wonderful Jackie Bam Bam, all good people. And I'm not just saying that because I managed to win a pair of Bon Jovi concert tickets from MMR last weekend. I'm not. <laughs> happy 50th WMMR, and while we're throwing out well wishes and happy anniversaries, happy 4th anniversary to us, Bill Furman. We started our show four years ago, April 30th of 2014. So here we are, four years later, still going strong. Wow. Wow. I knew it was coming. I knew that was coming up, too. Do you happen to know how many shows were in that four years? Uh, I think we're up to about 182. And, you know, you did a couple other shows. You did a couple other Friday night shows and things, show. So if you uh, look in Blog Talk Radio, you'll see that we've actually done something like 202 shows total for Philly Press Box Radio. But you and I, I think, are at 182 tonight, give or take one. Good deal. Very good. Well, Mr. Chesco, we are at the top of the hour, and we do have another minute. Do you have anything else you want to throw out there? Draft? Uh, I'm looking forward to the NFL NFL draft. What's that? Who's what? Who are they? Who are they picking? Oh, I have no idea. If if they stay at 32, I'd be okay with Kaseki. I'd be okay with one of those running backs. Um, You know, if they go offensive line, I know that's okay. If they go defensive line or linebacker, that's okay. Just not quite as sexy as a running back or a tight end. So I'd rather them take one of the running backs or. Mike Gesicki if they stay at 32, but I fully expect them to trade down and get uh, maybe a couple of second rounders or a second and a third instead. So that's my prediction, but we shall see. And the other than that, I'm looking forward to the draft, and I can't wait for Sixers basketball, which round two will start either Saturday or I think Monday if the Bucks and Celtics go to game seven. All right. Sounds good. Well, we've reached the top of the hour, so let's thank our special guest, Sarah Todd, Andrew Calista. Irish Rover Station House and BobSullivan'sLikeYourAge.com for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chechesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, May 2nd at 7 p.m. when Ray Dittinger joins us. You can listen through our website, phillypressboxradio.com, our Facebook page, or on the Internet at www.blogtalkradio.com slash phillypressboxradio, or on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Mixcloud. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. Philadelphia Eagles, Super Bowl 52 champions. Uh-huh.